You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Uh, this morning, I want to jump right in to um, a talk, really. And not, not so much a message, but a talk. Uh, I am going to sort of tie in this idea that we've been talking about the goodness of God But I want to be honest with you, this week was probably one of the harder weeks to prepare a quote-unquote sermon um, just due to what's going on in our nation and in the news, and in particular in regards to our election and uh, what happened at the U.S. Capitol this week. And I really wrestled with, should I say anything? Um, Should I... Uh, address the issue more than the things that I've posted on my own social media accounts? Um, should I uh, talk about it in regards to the the sermon today and preach a whole sermon on it? Or what? I just thought, you know, I'm just going to be in my office. This is where I think. This is where I pray. This is where I study. Uh, this is where I prepare uh, sermons and talks. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come to you from my office and I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of uh, the goodness of God and, and in regards to what we've seen this last week. And so if you remember last Sunday, if you tuned in, we we spoke out of Psalm 119, verse 68, that says, You are good. This is David talking about God. You are good and you do good. Uh, you are tov. That's the Hebrew word for good. And you do tov. And we talked about the fact that God is tov or goodness and that God does goodness and you can't separate these things um that, that God's goodness is inextric inextricably connected to his character and nature and also inextricably connected to his uh, deeds to the things the actions that God does and so there's nothing that God does that isn't good and we defined tov as the highest, most expansive and inclusive form of goodness and beauty. Um, some synonyms for tov would be things like pleasant, um, excellent, favor, prosperity, happiness, welfare. And last week we learned as well that God himself, when he wanted to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 34, or 33 and 34, when Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, listen, you can't see my face. No man can see my face, but I'm going to let my uh, goodness or I'm going to let my faithfulness pass before you. And he's, I'm going to declare to you my name. And so we see that God says that his faithfulness and his name, his goodness, my goodness will pass before you, that his goodness and his name and his glory are all connected. Of course, when he did that, he declared himself as Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness or loyal love and faithfulness. Um, and so what a beautiful story. I came across this quote uh, this week as I was sort of trying to prepare for just a sermon on goodness, uh, absent of all of the chaos that we experienced at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. this week. And this uh, statement is this from A.W. Tozer. The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. 
The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. And I think that that's a beautiful quote. And I think in the positive, we we recognize that God is so great and so good that there's an expansiveness to the goodness of God that is really difficult for us to grasp how good God is. But I think that there's a flip side to that coin. And I wrote down a few thoughts here. Um, I don't really have notes as much as I have a few thoughts scribbled out on a, uh, not scribbled out, I don't use a pen and paper that much, but like written out in my computer. That perhaps this, this idea that the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we could ever be able to comprehend. Perhaps this is why we struggle when our enemy prospers. Or to put it another way, perhaps this is why we struggle when God shows his goodness to our enemies, or we perceive that God is showing his goodness to our enemies. Because we struggle um, to, to comprehend the goodness of God, all of a sudden when we see that our enemies are prospering, when it appears like the goodness of God is actually being poured out on our enemies, it really bothers us. And then we, maybe not intentionally, but internally question the goodness of God. This is kind of I'm reminded of the story of Jonah, right? God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to declare to them, thus saith the Lord, destruction, judgment and destruction is coming. And Nineveh rejects that. He he runs from God. And excuse me, Jonah rejects that. He runs from God and from Nineveh. And and you have to recognize that Nineveh is like the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is is uh, enemies of Israel. Like there's nothing about Assyria that that Jonah or Israel would be interested in um, reconciling with. And so Jonah runs from God. He runs from Nineveh. You know the story. A storm comes up, a fish, a big fish comes up, blah, blah, blah. He makes this deal with God. Um, he's thrown up on the shore. God comes to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach this. He finally goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He, it takes him three days to walk through the entire city. And he's telling them judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God is is not happy with Nineveh. And, and, and the craziest thing happens. The Ninevites begin to tear their clothes and repent. They they tend, they rend their clothes and, and lay in sacrifice cloth and ashes and and begin to cry out to God don't have judgment on us right and God relents God relents God does not execute judgment on Nineveh because God is good and this makes Jonah so angry Jonah is so furious with God that he literally goes up on a hill and he begins to sulk. He begins to throw a tantrum about the situation. God is like, what? I'm paraphrasing here. It's four chapters. Go read the whole thing. God's like, what is your deal, Jonah? And Jonah says this, catch this. He's like, I knew this would happen. This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew that you are compassionate and gracious. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding. He's quoting Exodus 34, and he's mad about it. He's mad that God is showing his goodness towards Jonah's enemies. And I think oftentimes we are like Jonah, and we get so frustrated when goodness comes upon our enemies. 
Why? Because the goodness of God oftentimes is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. And so when we when we catch glimpses of how good God is, sometimes it isn't how we want it to be. And therefore it frustrates us. Perhaps this is also why we tend to uh, grasp for power, uh, especially via political means. Uh, you've heard me say this before, that I've seen um, the evangelical world, and in particular leaders in the evangelical word, uh, world, um, sell out for proximity to power. Like they are literally selling their birthrights for a bowl of soup. And we grasp for power. I think about the disciples. and gra- They're walking with Jesus and they're having this argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Like they're grasping, they're jockeying for position and power. They don't believe really, functionally speaking, that God is good enough that everybody could have an equal place in the kingdom of God. And so they are beginning to, 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 to talk to Jesus in a way that, that maybe in the Roman Empire people would talk. There was this hierarchy and people have positions of power and their position of power affords them authority. It affords them privilege and they are concerned that they might not get the privilege that they want. So they're they're fighting over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Maybe maybe that's the way we are because we also struggle to understand the goodness of God. Perhaps this is why we are willing to justify ungodly means if we believe they might lead to a godly end. I'll let that simmer for a minute. Let me say it one more time. Perhaps this is why I'm saying perhaps this is why, meaning we don't quite comprehend the goodness of God. Perhaps this is why we are willing to justify ungodly means if we believe they might lead to a godly end. And I think about um, Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and when Judas leads uh, the soldiers into the garden to betray Jesus and Peter pulls out his sword in attempt to save Jesus. He cuts off the ear of the soldier and Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away. This is not the way of the kingdom of God. You cannot use ungodly means and justify them if you think it will come to a godly end. Jesus doesn't need us to save him. Jesus didn't need Peter to save him. Jesus could have saved himself, but he chose the path, the Via Dolorosa, the the path to Calvary to lay down his life. He showed us the way of the lamb, which is not the way of empires and swords. He showed us that we can't use ungodly means and justify them if we think that they will give us a godly outcome. Perhaps this is why we struggle with the teachings of Jesus in general, to believe that he actually meant what he was saying. I hope you're hearing. There's a burden on my heart about what is happening, not just in our nation, although I'm burdened for our nation, but beyond being burdened for our nation, I'm burdened for us as the believers of God and what we are buying into and what we are selling out for. And so therefore, as I said last week, and I repeat today, we need to think upon, develop a theology of, be captured by and secure in the goodness of God. 
We need a greater theology of God's goodness. And perhaps it is this lack of understanding of God's goodness that has fueled our issues with Christian nationalism. That we too, just like the children of Israel, question God's goodness. When Moses was on the mountain, they weren't sure if he was ever going to come back. And so what did they do? They made for themselves an idol and they called it God and they danced around it. Why? Because when we are afraid, when we are not sure that God is as good as he says he is, we have a propensity to create idols in our own image, in our own ways of thinking, and call it God's way of thinking. And that's exactly what Christian nationalism is, this commingling of the kingdom of God with a nation state. And the kingdom of God transcends every nation state, whether it be Israel, whether it be America or any other nation in the world. The kingdom of God is not beholden to any nation state. It transcends all things regarding national politics. But we we have allowed political commentators to become our pastors I want you to hear my heart. I hope this is coming across from a pastoral heart because that is my heart. These are people, these political commentators are people who are not walking in our communities. They are not sitting at tables with our neighbors and our friends. They're not having legitimate conversations with the real people in the community. They are paid to make all kinds of provocative statements about politics, and we are being discipled by them. They have become our pastors. We have put more stock in what our uh, our favorite political commentators are saying than what the word of God is saying that's being preached faithfully week in and week out in churches across the nation. Many of these political commentators that <clears throat> have become our pastors, uh, many of them have been caught up in baseless conspiracy theories. And listen to me, all of this has culminated to what we witnessed this week. I've heard some people say like, well, we just didn't see this coming. We didn't know that it would end in this. Listen, that's because you didn't want it. You didn't want to see it coming. This was as predictable as the sun rising and setting. This is the expected end of Christian nationalism. What we witnessed this week is the expected end of all of the rhetoric that we've been hearing around this idea of Christian nationalism. And you might be mad at me because I'm speaking to just preach the gospel, right? Well, I'm, I'm trying to give you the gospel here because the good news means that we don't have to sell ourselves out for political power. The good news is that we believe so greatly in the goodness of God that God prevails regardless of what happens around us, regardless of what happens in our nation's politics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying that we should be apolitical, that we should go off into the wilderness and just hide out from everybody and have our own little spiritual kumbaya. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we don't trust in the politics. We don't trust in chariots and horses 
We trust in the Lord. We trust in the goodness of the Lord. And so it was not hard to see that this is where this was heading. There have been discussions. There have been talks. There have been articles written. There have been people talking about the fact that people, Christian people, are calling for civil war-like ideas. And what we saw this week played out at our U.S. Capitol in this very way. And some might just mock the people. They're just lunatics. They're just... No, my friends, they're not. They're not just lunatics. These are people who have bought into the idolatrous worship of Christian nationalism and they are willing to, they declare it boldly that they are willing to give their lives for this cause. Now, we know that it's Christian nationalism. I'm not like, this is not a stretch. I'm not connecting dots that don't exist. We know that it's Christian nationalism. If we just watch the videos, we just watch the rally itself from this week, from January 5th and 6th, the the Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, the, the Jericho March. I watched the videos from the Jericho March. What do we have in the Jericho March? We had all these people. First of all, it's called the Jericho March. Like, does, do these people know what the March of Jericho was? Like, are they trying to destroy the city of D.C.? Are they trying to destroy the nation? Because this is what the Jericho March was all about. It's about pulling down the walls and destroying an entire city. Um, so that's weird. But they call it the Jericho March. We have the American flag that shows up. We have the Christian flag that shows up. We have the Trump flag that shows up. We have the Confederate flag that shows up. We have the Don't Tread on Me flag that shows up. And as they're marching around, they're carrying images of Trump. They're carrying Jesus 2020 signs. We've got shofars being blown. We've got crosses being carried into it. We also have nooses being hung. And all the while they're singing, how great is our God. Sing with me how great. So they're worshiping. As they're carrying all of this imagery, as they've shown up to, quote unquote, stop the steal for a president that lost the election handedly, not this is not biased or conspiracy theory. It is just legitimate fact. He lost the election. There was no steal. Over 60 courts heard their claims and threw them out and admonished them in doing so. How great is our God? Who is this God that you speak of? Because the God of the Bible is not in that. And with all this religious imagery and nomenclature and these songs... An incited crowd stormed the capital of the U.S., and like I said, predictably so, in an attempt to disrupt and overthrow a duly elected president. And let me be clear, there are talks that they will show up again at the inauguration on the 20th of January. And we should be praying against that, and we should definitely not be participating in it. To overthrow a duly elected president, all the flags of this movement converged at once in the halls of the Capitol. 
Did you know this is the first time in the history of our nation that a Confederate flag found its way in the halls of the capital of the United States of America? You know what was alongside that Confederate flag in those halls? A Christian flag? An American flag? They tore down the United States flag that hung over the Capitol and replaced it with a Trump flag? This, my friends, is Christian nationalism. They're bringing all of this religious ideology together in hopes that the, uh, that the end will justify the means that they are taking to overthrow. You have to understand this is sedition. This is the exact definition of what sedition is. And, and they're using, this is why I'm frustrated. This is why I'm concerned about it. This is why I'm talking to you about it. Because they are using our beautiful symbols of the cross. Our beautiful songs about our God. Our beautiful imageries. They're using them to justify what they're doing. So all of this... Resulting in prolonging the inevitable, right? That, that, that Biden would be confirmed as the president of the United States. That was inevitable. That was going to happen no matter what. It resulted in the death of five people, including one police officer, one lady who was shot dead trying to, uh, trying to break through a window into a barricaded room. And then um, multiple others who were trampled and had medical emergencies. And they, they, they died. Five people unnecessarily died. And of course, we know that there have been many arrests made and there are many more to come. And as I have always said, and I will always continue to say, I have no problem with people peacefully protesting. No problem with a protest whatsoever. I don't care what you're protesting. I have no problem as long as it's peaceful. But when it turns into a riot, it is a problem. And we got to declare this clearly that none of this that happened was good. None of it was good. And therefore, we can conclude that none of it was God. Because God is good and God does good. And you might ask me like, well, Pastor Ryan, how do we know for certain it wasn't God. How do we know for certain that God wasn't in some of it? Like we get it like, like some of those people were crazy and that definitely wasn't God. But how do we know for certain that God wasn't in some of it? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Was it good? Just in general, was it good? The Bible says in Matthew 12, right? We say this all the time. Uh, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Either way, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. Was there any sort of good fruit there? Uh, we could ask this question. Did it reflect the words and life of Jesus? How do we know it wasn't good? Did it reflect the words and life of Jesus? Like in particular, did it reflect the Beatitudes? The blessed R's of the Beatitudes that we know that these are the things that God blesses. One of those being the peacemakers, the merciful, those who mourn, 
Did it, did it reflect the teachings of Jesus? Did it reflect any of the Sermon on the Mount? Is there anything in the Sermon on the Mount or the parables that are reflected in what took place Tuesday and Wednesday? Is there anything that Jesus said that you could point to or the way that Jesus lived his life, even all the way to his death, that you could point to and be like, yes, there it is. This is proof that what took place here was good because Jesus would have involved himself in this. I don't think that you can. Did it bear forth evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? Like Galatians 5 that juxtaposes the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? Like where did it fall? Was it more often the works of flesh or was it more often love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Did it reflect the fruit of the Spirit? This is how we know if this was good, if God was in it. Were these things present in this situation? Now, where do we go from here? Like, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to repair. Evangelicalism, as we know it in America, has really taken a significant hit over the last few years because we attached ourselves to politics, because we claimed improperly, we took the Lord's name in vain and declared that this guy is our president. He's our guy. He represents us. Um, he is one of us. And, uh, and we have made excuses for him all along the way. And listen to me. Donald Trump needs Jesus just like everybody else. The problem is not Donald Trump. The problem is that we lionized Donald Trump as a savior of our country. That's why we buy into ideas like make America great again. And people say this is the only guy that can do it. And we come up with these crazy conspiracy theories that he's fighting against some secret lizard man cabal that has taken over all of the people we don't like. It's 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 madness, really. It's it's insanity, really. And we've got to reject it and we've got to come back to the word of God. We've got to come back to it. Not too long ago, I I ministered for a friend of mine at her conference on um, race relations, and my topic was on Christian nationalism. And I I taught or preached a word called Wasting Our Witness. I, many of you probably remember that. I reposted it this week. It's available on our YouTube channel. But there were three things that I talked about in regards to that sermon of what is our witness? What then shall we do? Like this Christian nationalism, what what is where we have been complicit in what took place uh, this last week? What do we do to change it? Like, like, first of all, above all things, we must repent. We must repent of our idolatry over a nation, our idolatry over um, ideas that we are the greatest nation or we should be the greatest nation or that these sort of ideas that that sort of excludes other nations, demonizes even other nations uh, for the sake of our own nation. We've got to reject all of that. The kingdom of God supersedes all of these things and we see all nations, all people as image bearers of God and therefore worthy of equal dignity. 
So what do we do? What should be, uh, I mean, beyond repenting, I think repentance is huge. We've got we've to admit that we have made a gross error in, in conflating our politics and our Christianity. But here's what our witness is supposed to be. And I went through these three things in the sermon. I'm just going to briefly talk about them. You can go watch the sermon again or listen to it again. But our witness is this, that first, we are a political people. So I'm not asking us to not be involved in politics. We are a political people. But our politics supersedes the national politics of this world. It supersedes uh, Democrats and Republicans. We are not beholden to uh, elephants and donkeys. We are beholden to the Lamb of of God who laid down his life for us. And so when we uh, talk about being a political people, our politic is simply this. Jesus is Lord. And as we say that, follow me, as we say that, we are also saying Caesar is not Lord. We're also saying Trump is not Lord. We're also saying Biden or Obama or anybody else is not Lord. Our politic is Jesus is Lord. Therefore, we submit to that king, our king, the king of kings. And everything that we do flows from this politic of Jesus is Lord. Secondly, we are a proleptic people. It's a, di a different kind of word, but it simply means that we live from the future, that we believe so greatly that the future is a reality that we live today as if it's already happened. Meaning we are resurrection people and we believe that the resurrection initiated the fact that God is making all things new again and one day everything will be made new again. And so our hope is that we are moving towards a moment when the kingdom of God transforms everything and we are all made new. All things will be made new. So as a proleptic people, we believe so greatly in that resurrection power and the initiation of God's kingdom that we live today as if that has already happened. We live today as people from the future co-laboring with God to see things become new, to see people thrive in the kingdom of God. And then lastly, that we are <coughs> a prophetic people, meaning our witness is to speak truth to power, not to reject truth, to grasp at power. We speak truth to power. We cannot make excuses for what we have seen this week. We cannot continue to say what we think people want to hear. Uh, we cannot continue to, um, to, to speak to those who have itching ears. Please, please. Like, I get it. I don't like preaching this or having this talk. People will be mad at me. People have left because I've had these talks before. People have called me woke. People have called me a Marxist. People have declared that I should not be a pastor because of the things that I say. People have called me a baby killer because I didn't support uh, Donald Trump. I didn't also support Hillary Clinton, but they claimed that I loved Hillary and that I was a baby killer. Like, I get it. It costs something to stand here today and tell you, thus saith the Lord, speak.
speak truth to power. And truth is this, the kingdom of God does not function by the ways of men. And the kingdom of God is not beholden to American politics. And so we must constantly speak that truth to the powers that be. Right, left, center, don't care who they are. Truth to power. And not conspiracy theory truth. Not truthers truth. I'm talking truth truth. I don't want to leave you with that. I know this is difficult to hear and a little bit heavy and, and, and I get it. This is why it was such a difficult thing for me to even sort of put together notes, if you will, for this whole thing. But here's what I want to leave you with as we continue to develop this idea about the goodness of God. I remain confident that we will see the goodness of God. I remain confident that if we look, if we work, if we do the work of the kingdom, we will see the goodness of God. And this this scripture has been just, just rolling over in my heart, in my mind. I've been thinking upon it all week. And it's David who writes this in Psalm 27. It's David who writes this. And David is no stranger to chaos. He's no stranger to political upheaval. He's no stranger to not getting his way. He's no stranger to these kind of things. And Psalm 27 itself lists out throughout the entire Psalm, all of these things that have been happening to David. And David is trying to like, He's trying to make this declaration to the Lord and to himself. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he goes through all of these things. If the enemy does this, he's like, one thing I desire that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life, to behold his beauty, right? To, to inquire of him. Um, I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life. I want to gaze upon his splendor. These kind of things. But at the very end, you know, the second to last verse of chapter 27, David says this, I'm going to read it in a couple of translations, but he says this in the NIV, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So David has a confidence in God's goodness. David has a trust. He has a security in the goodness of God. Though all of this chaos may be going around me, I remain confident of this. I will see the tov, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the highest, most expansive and inclusive form of goodness and beauty. Something that's so pleasant and excellent, filled with favor, prosperity, happiness, and the welfare of God, his very name and glory. I will see that in the land of the living. The New King James Version says it like this. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love that version. I would have lost heart. I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have said, this is too hard. I don't know about you, but I have felt that way. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Or about the new life version that says this, I would have been without hope. Some of us feel that way. We feel very hopeless. 
Some of us feel very hopeless because we think the election was stolen. Some of us feel very hopeless because we're like, why do people think the election was stolen? This is the duly elected. This is the process we've always had. I would have been without hope if I had not believed that I would see the loving kindness of the Lord in the land of the living. Or the New English translation says, where would I be if I did not believe I would experience the Lord's favor in the land of the living? So as we close this sort of talk, I want to encourage you to be confident in the goodness of God. We don't have to grasp to try to make the kingdom of God come. We just need to be confident in God's goodness and live out of that goodness in our own lives and watch and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's pray. Father, we are so grieved over what is happening in our nation there's much to be grieved over in regards to policies and laws and things that are going on around us with the coronavirus, with the racial unrest, with just all of the political upheaval. There's so much to be grieved over. But Lord, as it's culminated this week into this, this movement that happened at our Capitol, you're well aware of it. We are grieved, Lord. Lord, reveal to us where we have been complicit in moments where we have also carried ideas that would lead to this sort of uh, this sort of activity and action against a government. We don't want to be insurrectionists. We don't want to be people who take up sword against our government. We want to be people of Jesus who take up our cross, who walk the way of the Lamb and lean into, live out the self-sacrificial love that you call us to. Help us, Lord, to lay down our weapons. Help us, Lord, to, to firmly establish our hearts in the goodness of God. We're so grateful that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, let me pray this prayer over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.